Welcome to the Golf Life Faith Podcast. Uh, today we have a special bonus episode. Uh, we typically have friends of CGF from the PGA Tour join us. Uh, we just had Jonathan Bird on, and we also had Stephen Bunn on that episode. And today we have as our guest, as a CGF highlight, Stephen Bunn, who is in his 25th year with CGF, lives in Birmingham, Alabama. And we also have Jace Barber alongside us. Jace, how are you doing? Doing great. Anytime I get to talk with you and Mr. Bunn, it's a good morning. So super super excited for this conversation. Well, Bunn, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Well, what, um, you know, we're sitting here, it's January. What does your schedule look like? during this season of the year? Well, typically, um, pre-COVID, I'd be out in California right now. Um, and uh, But this year, just kind of through some different circumstances, and uh, with our staff guy, Jason Allred, living out on the West Coast, a former tour player, he has filled in with the Tour Fellowship a couple of weeks. Um, and Brad Payne's been out. And so it's been kind of low-key for me. Um, I had a kind of an intense travel schedule all the way through December this year. I had a number of events and, and things that I had to go to all the way through the end of the year, which is unusual. So I'm getting to spend some time at home and in a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll be uh, getting things kick started um, with, with you all. Uh, I've got a board meeting and then all of our staff will be getting together for uh, some meetings and time of encouragement out in uh, Texas. And then uh, I'll be out on the road pretty much through July. Mm, so-, yeah, so tell us more about that current role with the PGA tour. Okay, so just serving alongside the guys. Um, um, I teach on Tuesday nights a very informal Bible study. Uh, we call it the Tour Fellowship. It's uh, just just about an hour. Guys gather and we walk through the Word together and pray for each other, encourage each other. You know, one of the things in, in regards to that role that I love the most are just relationships. It's kind of a little traveling circus. Um, you get to know a lot of people, not just the players, but caddies and wives and uh, media agents, reps from different club manufacturers and so on. And you just kind of see the same people each week. And it's it's just so enjoyable to be there while there's part of me that never enjoys leaving home. Uh, once I'm there, um, I'm all in and just really enjoy the relationships, just getting to hang out that Tuesday night's small focus of what what the week typically looks like for me. Um, is I like to just invest time very strategically with dinners, enjoying hanging out with people, try to room with guys just to to get some good one-on-one time hanging out. Um, and then throughout the, the week, just meeting there in, in player dining, the commissioner is kind enough to give a really good credential uh, with great access and um, just spending time with with uh, the, the people that you have grown to love and appreciate. Mm. And so, as Toby said, this is your 25th year with CGF, which is incredible. Anytime somebody's with, I was a child prodigy. I started young. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but anytime that somebody's with any company, organization, whatever, for that length of time, you see a lot of things. You see a lot of change. Um, walk us through just like a maybe like a four to five minute history of CGF from when you yeah. started, uh, the size that it was then the little bit of growth and then, cause I guarantee those staff retreats that we're about to go to in two weeks look a little bit different than 15, 20 years ago. 
So let's talk oh, yeah, to that. Look a lot different. So when I first came on, um, they were just desperate enough um, to look for looking for someone. And uh, I was on staff with another campus ministry uh, for four or five years and had just gotten back from spending some time overseas uh, with that ministry and was uh, definitely looking for a different direction. Uh, I didn't even know if I was going to be in ministry, honestly. Um, I had kind of done it for a little while, had interest in sports medicine and had thought to continue to pursue that. Um, then I went out to, uh, was invited, just a random phone call from Rick Massengale, former tour player, um, who is the OG, a CGF. Um, and uh, Rick called me up and my wife and our four-month-old son went up to to Augusta National to a, a banquet that they were putting on for the Augusta State Tournament on the Sunday night before the Masters. And Bernhard Langer and Paul Stankowski and a a guy named Brad Payne who had hair um, were there to uh, to uh, interview uh, Paul and and uh, Bernhard to have them tell their golf journey, life journey, and faith journey. And and uh, they invited us to come up and participate. And got there. And and as I was sitting there um, in the audience that night, there were a couple of questions that really hit home with me. Um, I had no desire no thoughts of ever working with a golf ministry or within golf. Uh, but it just so happens in the kind providential hand of the Lord, I had just gone through uh, probably some of not probably the greatest adversity of my life, um, which I look back on and it was uh, the greatest blessing in my life at the same time. And so coming off of that, there was a lot that was going on in my life, a lot that I was learning. And I remember Paul Stankowski asking a room full of college golfers. And I remember Graham McDowell, uh, who has won a U.S. Open, uh, sitting in that room. And he asked the hundred and some odd players there, how many of you want to play professional golf? And my wife and I were sitting there amazed as every hand in the room went up of all the players. And even I'm not the smartest guy, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but even I knew statistically there weren't going to be many guys that would make it. And I leaned over to my wife and I said, these guys have put everything they have into, into golf. They desire to do this. And golf doesn't measure 40 times. It doesn't measure your height, weight, all that kind of stuff. You don't know division one versus division three. You don't know who's going to make it. And I leaned over to my wife and I said, this is pretty interesting. I've just gone through a purpose in life crisis. I've had identity issues. I've struggled with doubt, belief. I said, these guys are going to have a purpose in life crisis. I said, maybe we could be used in this. And that started the conversations. And so at the time, it was just Brad Payne. And so they were doing these banquets where they would relationally share about having a relationship with Jesus, using the vehicle of PGA Tour players. They needed guys to do follow-up. My heart beats for relational ministry, not just kind of mass follow-up. And, and Rick and Brad's vision was the same way. And so we launched um, into having two staff guys and they literally dropped me into North Carolina and off we went with our young son and started that journey. And about two, three years later, we hired a uh, Stanford grad, uh, Steve Burdick to come and join us. And then we had three. And then as time went on, um, again, through the kindness of the Lord um, and through some just incredible stories, which we don't have time for right now, um, of just his provision, 
uh, here we are today now with, you know, 30 some odd staff. And so, yeah, it has changed a lot. The infrastructure is a little more organized, but the best thing that Brad, Steve, and myself have done is we have hired young men that are way more gifted and better at doing this than we are. And the product of it has been unbelievable. Uh, we have, and so if there's any college guys listening, you've got a staff guy near you, man, lock in on these guys because they are super talented and super gifted at what they do. And everything they do is tailored for a lifestyle of someone just like you. So that'd be my plug for you guys. Appreciate that, Bon. Um, I, should say, I, I never get tired of hearing um, your story of being amazed at that Augusta tournament of the guys having a purpose in life crisis. And it's still something that resonates the same way today. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any like favorite memories from those, those first few years, maybe in Greensboro, uh, making the rounds, meeting coaches, meeting players? Yeah. You know, so for me, I didn't have a background in college golf or playing competitive golf. And so for me, it was like um, I was just cold calling. I mean, I was just showing up at tournaments and getting to know coaches and and just instantly uh, fell in love with it. I love the the intimate nature of golf um, that you only have, you know, eight to 12 players. Typically, um, it's a highly relational sport. Um, they practice probably more than any other sport, I would argue. Um, you know, I know the NCAA has their 20 hour work weeks, but you know, if you're going to be any good and dedicated to the game, the, the, the guys that I've been around, they're, they're there well after practice, working on the short game, doing whatever uh, till sunset. And, and so you just get a lot of time around them. And so it was a perfect environment for me. Um, small, finite number, uh, not overwhelmed by um, kind of the target audience, so to speak, and just it being highly relational was really cool for me. And so early on, um, just traveling – all over the country. Um, basically Brad kind of took the West half. I took the Eastern half, um, you know, one side of the Mississippi to the other. And, uh, man, we used to do, uh, Paul Stankowski would host retreats at his house. He was the first tour player to host in his home. And we would tell his wife, uh, that we were going to have 50 guys there. And then we'd have like 75, 80 guys come and we'd just tell him to keep moving and not let Regina get a head count. (laughs) She, I, she knew. <laughs> those were the, so to me, those early retreats were just the greatest because um, we were just bringing everybody that we knew and guys that we barely knew and just mm. getting as many there that we could. And it was just with it just being me and Brad, uh, we had a ball. And if Brad Payne at a retreat, there's there's nothing better. Mm. That That's that's inner half of the plate for him. And uh, that guy crushes home runs every time he steps up to the plate at retreats. Uh, that's one of my favorite things that you guys ever did with CGF. There's a lot of favorite things. But, like, I was just reading through um, some thank you notes from Webb Simpson's retreat. And I was telling Toby that there's a kid that we didn't really know this, but, I mean, we knew his life changed through CGF and through retreats. But he literally said at his first CGF retreat, he was saved by Jesus at that retreat. Mm-hmm. And there are countless stories of that. So thank you for your faithfulness and praise God for his just growth throughout these retreats. That's hey, incredible. Jace, one of my favorite all-time stories. Um, I hope it's the one I think you're going to say. I, there I was agree. a young man by the name of John Darby yeah. um, who uh, played golf for UAB, never came. I did a weekly Bible study in my home. back At this time, I'd moved back to Birmingham where I still reside and 
And uh, he never came to Bible study. I didn't even know him. And one of his uh, teammates, Zach Suker, who is a PGA Tour player, has played out on the Corn Ferry and PGA Tour for a long time. Great guy. Uh, just had a heart for his teammate. And um, it just so happened that John, who was from California, couldn't go home for Christmas and was going to spend Christmas in Birmingham, um, would have described himself as an atheist. Um, kind of his, his religion would have been science. And, um, but he also just loved golf. And so Lee Jansen was hosting a former you know, two-time U.S. Open winner. Lee Jansen was hosting a retreat at his house, and that was pretty intriguing. And so Zach Sucre calls me and says, hey, I think Darby would be interested in going to a retreat. And so I called him up. And by the way, I hope he gets to hear this. Tightest individual, I've ever, financially the tightest cheapskate I have ever known in my life. And it started way back then. And so the lure of a free plane ticket and that I would fly him down uh, hooked him. And I remember him asking me, will Lee Jansen actually be there? I'm like, well, of course he's going to be there. We're going to his house. But, you know, he didn't know if it was a bait and switch or whatever. And so he comes down and we had Matt Chandler, gifted teacher there teaching the retreat. But you know what? Um, a couple of days later, I'd gone to another, uh, some other meetings um, in another part of the state with another ministry and, and got a call while I was there from Zach Suker that John Darby wanted to get together and have more questions. And, and I was so excited about that. I left the conference that I was at a day early just to get home and have lunch with John. And we sat there and we began to talk. And over a series of weeks and months, we were meeting together and his entire um, countenance just changed. And he went from being a questioner in terms of trying to poke holes in the story of the Bible to now being investigative and curious. And I literally watched the blinders come off this guy's eyes as he ended up putting his trust and his hope in the message of the Bible that he had never found elsewhere. And later on, I was asking him, what about that retreat? What was it that, that made you so interested? Was it, and he couldn't remember one thing and no, no offense to Matt. He couldn't remember one thing from the teaching, but he told me this, I'd never seen guys, encourage and get along and have fun with each other. Like I saw with the staff guys and the guys at that retreat that week. And it made me think there's something to this. And, um, and he later on came on staff with us for about four or five years. And um, is now uh, working in the marketplace, raising godly family. And um, it, I just, that that's one of the stories that I just, it still makes my heart beat. So following up on that story of, of Darby's, life transformation. What was the season of life in which you placed your trust in Christ? Yeah. So for me, I would say there, there's been multiple steps, but I've had obviously the, the original step, um, the big, big step in my life. Uh, I, I was raised thankfully in a, in a home with a mom and dad who, who loved the Lord and were committed um, in their walks um, but I had hit a, hit, hit a time in my life where God was just not even a thought. Wouldn't have considered myself an atheist by any stretch of the imagination. Just wasn't trusting God for anything. Didn't even think about him. Had no concept whatsoever. All I was living for was just, you know, my own, my own pleasure and performance um, to try to be honestly with athletics and, and just even my relationships and things like that. It was just all performance driven. Um as well as just fulfilling self-pleasure. And so in that, I remember I had a, a weekend that I woke up obsessed with the thought of eternity. 
And I said earlier, I'm not that smart, but I'm, I've always been kind of analytical and uh, I chew on things a lot. And my, my mind is like a hamster wheel and um, it just, it never shuts off. And I woke up obsessed with the thought of eternity and wasn't had nothing to do with the, is there a heaven or a hell? It was just, I was thinking about time and space. And mm-hmm. I usually like to freak people out with that a little bit, how just like there is no end in time or no beginning in time, there is no end in space and kind of blows your mind a little bit. And those were the thoughts that were on me. And it got on me like a freaking pit bull uh, for an entire weekend. And ultimately as the weekend wore on, I was tired. I wasn't sleeping. Um, I came and got my dad out of bed late on a, on a Sunday night and began to kind of describe to him just things that were going on in my life. And he shared a passage with me that I don't think is the typical passage um, best that I can recollect. This was a long time ago, but he, he shared with me Matthew 11 when Jesus is addressing uh, a religiously and politically oppressed group of Jews. And he says to him, if you're tired of trying so hard, if you're tired of performing, then come to me, hitch yourself up to me, and I'll give you rest for, my, for your soul. And as he shared that with me, it, it really sounded restful. And all of a sudden, um, I, I, I turned to my dad, and, and, and with all that I knew, I put my trust in the message of what Jesus was offering, offering me a, a, an answer for eternity, an answer for the limitlessness of space and time, an answer for what was rocked inside of me, an answer for my pursuit of performing that just never seemed to be satisfied. And for all that I knew, I put my trust there. But as I went on in my in my life and, and got into, I went to college, went to University of Alabama, World Tide, and was there. I got involved with the campus ministry, and that those that that background of performance was still there. And sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. And I didn't really know how to study the word. I didn't. Um, I was learning a lot of great materials that were that were. Um, supplemented by God's word, but I just really wasn't getting to know it. And, and I was still performing and I'm looking at other people that had way more knowledge about the Bible. Their lives seemed a lot different than me. And so there I'm in college and a new believer and I'm, I'm, yet I'm still struggling in my thought life, my actions, my attitudes. I'm still, in other words, I'm still sinning. And I think something's wrong with me because I'm looking at other people and thinking they're so much better than me. Now, Mm -hmm. little did I know, but as I sat with them, I I just kept building up this idea of performance and and, and what it must look like. And I had this erroneous view of the gospel that, that I was somehow in the river when I came to my dad that night, that I was somehow in the river of my own sin with a big waterfall up ahead of me that that I was going to fall over. But thank goodness, Jesus was on the sideline or on the shore. He threw me a life buoy and I could grab it or I could go over the waterfall up to me. And so I'm not an idiot. I grabbed the life buoy. And that was kind of the view I had of the, of the life of a follower of Jesus is that he rescued me. He saved me. Now I got to hold on tight. I got to perform. And, and so I really just built up this, this sense of performance and, as time went on, um, I ended up, you know, growing in that, understanding grace more. But there came a, the next big step in my life was the, the year that I became a father. And 
I was working with a ministry where we raise your own support. And my son was born with some serious medical conditions. We were told about surgeries he was going to have to have. Uh, the surgeons were out of state. The only way you could get there was by flying. And it was there was going to be, you know, six, seven procedures done over, of course, a year and year and a half to prepare this. The dollar signs are going in my head. And it just so happened that a couple of days later, I got my paycheck from this ministry and I had not had enough support to cover the paycheck. And I opened up a zero dollar and zero cent paycheck. My first paycheck as a dad, along with all the, the medical stuff that was going on with it. And this sent me right back to the same type feeling I had that weekend that I'd woken my dad up years before. And I exclaimed with my own voice, I left the house. I didn't tell my wife about the paycheck yet. And I got out in a car and I just yelled, there's no way that you're real. There's no way there's a God. Because in my mind, I thought that I was performing so well that, that, that I was doing holding up my end of the bargain, as if that were true, by the way. But that's the erroneous mindset that I had. But instantly, the ramifications of there being no God hit this analytical hamster wheel called my brain. And I began to think that if there is no God, then what's the purpose in life? And it brought me to despair instantly. And so within just a couple of minutes, I sat, I thought about that. And as I'm driving, I'm looking at the clouds, I'm looking at trees, and I'm thinking, you know what? There has to be a God. There has to be. There's just too much order. There's too many things that have gone on. There's too many things uh, that are historical that that have been that have been proven. There's too many eyewitnesses. All these things have taken place. So he has to be real. And so I did kind of the craziest thing I think I've ever done. I went to the Bible to find out if God was real. And in the rearview mirror of my life, that's the sign to me that my questioning of my faith my serious grief that I had toward God that I went to him about the sign of that he had changed me and that he was real is that in that moment of my deepest need, my greatest despair, something outside of me pushed me to run to him to find out that he's who he says he is. And I began to devour God's word. And what I came away with was an understanding of the erroneous view of the gospel that I had. And that what God's word teaches is that, yeah, I was in the river of my sin, my imperfection, but I was dead, dead as a doornail. And it's Jesus that came into the bottom of that river, brought me up and brought me to life. And that it's him that is holding me, not me holding him. And that the truth of the gospel, thank goodness, is not about my faithfulness and my ability to perform to him, but his incredible, gracious faithfulness to me, to us. It's there's, I can't even compute love like that. And so that changed for me. And then God brought CGF into my life right at that time. And during this season of my life, and it has changed my view of, of him. And I, I think about the culmination of that about six years later, our son, and the number one symptom of his condition um, that, that had a potential terminal ending uh, were seizures. And about six years later, my son is standing in front of me having a seizure. And my heart drops as I begin to think, 
okay, this is the death sentence. This is the thing that we've feared the most. And so this is the third big step in my journey. And now life has kicked me in the gut again. But this time, unlike the last time when I said there was no God, my wife and I are driving to the hospital with our son after his seizure. I'm, I am drunk with grief. And the only thing that I can get out of my mouth is I grab my wife's arm and I go, Lord, we trust you. Again, something outside of me had changed. Left up to my own reasoning and my own understanding, I didn't have an answer for that. But in him, all of a sudden, something compelled me to trust him. He had given me the belief that years before when I said there is no God, in, the, in my desperation, I finally came to the place where I said, God, if you're there, give me belief because I've got none. And some five, six years later, as life kicked me in the gut again, that was my response. Not being a good man, not being a good dad, not being a good husband. It literally is what instinctively just came out of me when I was kicked. And, and so it's been amazing. And so my life journey has been one, and, and I, I'm pretty open about this, that I struggle with doubt. But yet I have this, and I said this on the podcast with Jaybird. I have these, this pile of evidence that tells me otherwise. And my life has been nothing more than stone after stone after stone after stone of telling me and reminding me of the goodness and the faithfulness of God and the realness of who he is. Because outside of him, I don't have an answer for the brokenness in the world. I don't have an answer for what appears to be chaos. And so it's not, a, it's not some type of self-help. No, it's true hope that in the midst of the brokenness of, of the world outside of me and the brokenness within me, that there truly is someone that has given me the answer and give me hope. So I, there you go, Toby. There's your answer. Mm, so good. <laughs> Gosh. Um, All right, good luck following that up, Tobes. What's your follow-up question? <laughs> uh, seriously, Bun, that's unbelievable. Um, and like the vision and heart that Toby and I have behind doing these staff highlights is so that people who are either on the outside or even on the inside or in the in-between understand the heart behind CGF and what the Lord has done in all of our, all of our lives. Because Bun, you even mentioned like you've hired young, great, successful, winsome, whatever, all these guys. Um, but that's that's not how we view ourselves. And that's not you really like what we think, what we think those along the lines of what you just said. Mm-hmm. And we want people to see that and what want to be a part of it. We want college guys to want to be a part of it. We want those at the country clubs to want to be a part of it. Um, and everything that you just said is very attractive. And it's like, man, I want that. So, well, you know what? So Jason, the, the thing is that, that that pile of evidence that I talked about, mm. um, I don't want anyone First of all, you'd be an idiot to look at me and think they're like that I'm a good boy. Okay. That 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 what I want to do, like you asked me earlier about out on tour and the role there. You know, one of the things I want to do is I just want to come alongside guys and talk about this pile of evidence and 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 let's put stones on this stack together. Mm. Because th- there is not one thing about me that that's a good boy. Mm. Like it, it's literally in in that he has done a, a, a change and a work in me. And if you knew me, you would understand the miraculous nature of what I just said. Yeah. If you truly knew me yeah. down to the intent and um, attitudes and not just my actions. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing I'd love to follow up on 
is, as you shared it, just the idea that Jesus is who he says he is. And we often doubt that and we struggle with that and we ask questions. Um, but going to his word where he has revealed exactly who he is um, always uh, really shapes our our view of God that is too often too little. And I think, you know, myself included, um, when I came to my first CGF retreat, um, as I've observed working with um, college coaches, college golfers, it's easy to kind of stereotype someone in Christian ministry as kind of your role is to go out and kind of get guys to be better guys. Mm. You understand yeah. the stereotype I'm getting at, but kind of, you know, following up on that, your story, give us a picture of what a true, fully devoted follower of Christ really looks like. Well, um, you know, I, I think the, the, the word that comes to my mind is authenticity. The reason that comes to my mind is, you know, there are people that that would desire to to make much of their imperfections in order to make much of themselves. There are people that will make much of their righteousness in order to think much of themselves. And so I think authenticity um, is a is a trait of a of a committed, you know, true, fully devoted follower of Christ. Because what that looks like is the, there's, a, there's a sense of humility that they've turned to put their trust into someone else. And, and that's difficult. You know, you, you think in the context of marriage for young guys, you're not married yet. But as, as, you, as you launch into a, a life with other people, um, the idea of, of learning to trust God's provision, even like through a wife to go, you know what, my desire, my flesh tells me that I want this, or if I have this, this is right. But if you can view like your spouse as God's provision for you and that you can trust him, there's a, there's a sense of humility of going out of what you think you want and what you think is best. And in the same way, a fully devoted follower of, of Christ in, in his life is going to have this just authenticity of, of saying, this is not about me. It's about him. And, and I don't want anyone to have their eyes fixed on me. The writer of Hebrews comes right after a chapter of talking about the, what, what some would call the great hall of faith, chapter 11 of Hebrews. But if you go through it, there's all kinds of scandalous people in it. And right after that, he follows it up by saying this, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He's the author and he is the perfecter. That is where we get our identity. That's where we get our hope. That's where we get our confidence, not in ourselves. And please protect Oh my goodness. One of my prayers for our ministry is that we be protected from the stench of Christian body odor, that, that we would look as if uh, there, there's something grand about us and our knowledge. May it always be seasoned with, with a palatable salt of, of humility and knowing I am so grateful that I have this. And so I just want to share it with you because it's, it's unreal. It's changed my life. There's so much value to it. Jesus in flesh is literally the expression of God. Your stereotype that you have of God, get rid of it. Jesus is God, and his word is the expression of God to us. Jesus is the expression of God to us, and it's all wrapped up in his incredible love and relentless pursuit of you, of me. Awesome. Yep. And 
I could go a lot deeper on that, but we don't have time. So that's that's just one little snapshot. Yeah. Well, we maybe we'll just keep you coming back on. We'll get a you know <laughs> ten part. Ten part, Stephen Bond. Ah, uh, you don't want it. Let's just make it twelve parts. Let's just make it the whole year. <laughs> but Bond, we are cannot tell you how grateful we are for uh, not only you taking out your time this morning to sit with us and answer some questions and share your story, but the twenty five years um, of faithful ministry, um, yeah. just showing us that all all I've experienced um, seeing you is has shown us that that Jesus isn't out there to make. Um, bad boys, just better boys, um, but dead man alive. Yeah. And I still remember the exact uh, spot on the Alabama campus where you shared that illustration with me about the life buoy versus being dead in the bottom of the river of your sin. And my encouragement to just everyone listening, just continue to get to know who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. If you are in that stage of, of, of questioning, um, to poke holes in it, um, we would pray that you would just become investigative as you open up the Bible. And just for all of us, as we open up the Bible, um, may we just see who God truly is, that he is who he says he is. And he brings dead man, dead men to life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for so listening. Good. Any final hey, thoughts, Jace? Hey, Jace, hold on real quick. To any guy listening, please find a retreat, come to it. Yeah. Um, uh, they're free. We'll get you there if you can't afford it. Uh, please come to one. If you can't come to retreat, come to my house. Come hang out with me. I'd love to um, just get to know you, uh, tell you about these things. Uh, this is the retreats, though, are an unbelievable place because you do a lot of fun stuff. Um, if you haven't been before, uh, typically golf, games, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. And, and just to answer some of these questions. Um, I'd call it like a pretty non-threatening environment and one that you can, you owe it to yourself to, as Toby said, to ask those investigative questions and to seek answers. Absolutely. Yep. That's a great wrap up. Thank everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you for um, listening over the last year. Um, super excited for the podcasts that we have coming up and the staff highlights that we're going to have moving forward so that you can just see more guys, um, you know, similar to Bun that are just out there um, doing the things of the Lord for him, um, just happen to be in the golf world. So, Bun, thank you so much. Um, Toby, look forward to our next podcast here in a couple weeks, and we will be back in a few weeks. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Golf Life Faith Podcast. Whether you're a college golfer, a coach, or you just love golf, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, please email us at podcast at collegegolffellowship.com. Also, check us out on Instagram at collegegolffellowship and on Twitter at CGFTweet. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and be on the lookout for the next episode next month. Cheers.